Hey, thank you so much for tuning in to this week's sermon podcast at Yarmouth Wesleyan. We hope that you are encouraged by the message that you're about to hear. Uh, And we'd really appreciate uh, if you would subscribe on Apple Music or follow us on Spotify. That really helps us continue uh, to do the work that we are doing. So thanks again for tuning in and enjoy the message. We moved to Yarmouth in July of 2016. And back then, just like now, we had some toddlers running around our house. And so one of the first priorities that we had once we got settled was baby-proofing this new house of ours. And so we made sure that all the cupboards had locks on them. We made sure that there were baby gates where there needed to be baby gates. And we made sure that any door that needed a special baby lock on it had a baby lock. Now, in our bathroom upstairs, uh, it doesn't have a traditional knob. It has more of a handle. And so it needed a special kind of baby lock on that kind of door. My wife, Jess, was the one who decided to uh, install it on this particular door. And it was quite involved. It was a different kind of thing that either of us had ever seen. And it required taking the handle off of the door, installing the lock, and then reattaching the handle uh, to the door. I don't really know how she did it. But somewhere along the way, she managed to get the handle off, the lock installed, but when she reattached the handle, she attached it backwards, effectively locking herself inside the bathroom with no way out. She was fine, but it required me having to take the actual uh, handle off of the door from the outside so that we could open the door and get her out again. It's funny. What happens to your mind once you realize you're trapped somewhere you don't want to be? She said as she was working along, putting this handle back together, she was totally fine. But once she realized she couldn't get out when she wanted to, she started to panic. And I think lots of us have that similar reaction when we realize that we're stuck, that we're trapped, that we're being held captive. What Paul is doing in the passage that we're going to take a look at this morning in his letter to the Colossians is letting us know that some of us maybe are trapped and we don't even realize it. We're on week three of a five-week series uh, on the book of Colossians. AJ kicked it off a couple of weeks ago. And what we know is that Paul wrote this letter to the church in Colossae, but Paul had never been there. What happened was one of Paul's disciples, a man named Epaphras, was from the town of Colossae. He heard the gospel message and went back to his hometown and started a church there. Now, Paul was delighted that there was a a group of Christians in this town that he had never been. And so he wrote to them with the authority of a spiritual father to encourage them, to build them up, and to help correct a few of the issues that he had heard were happening in this church. Paul takes this letter to the Colossians and he points us to the supremacy and the authority of Christ. Christ is supreme over all things. He wants to point the Colossians and wants to point us to Jesus, the one who made a way back to God for us. Now, there was a group of teachers in this church in Colossae called Gnostics, and they claimed to have secret privileged information about God. And they were trying to undermine Paul's message through Epaphras that the Colossians had heard. They were trying to undermine it ever so subtly. 
They were tweaking the message just a little bit. They were just adding a little bit to it and changing it. The problem was some of these Colossian Christians were going along with it. Now, in the verses immediately before where we're going to start today, AJ referenced them two weeks ago in the intro. If you've not listened to that sermon, you should go back and and take a, a watch or a listen at some point. But in chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, it's one of the central focal points of the book of Colossians. Paul has just told these, these Christians to put their roots deep into Christ, to let them grow down deep into Christ and let their lives be build, built on him, to actually walk out, live out this gospel message that they had heard. And so we're going to start in chapter 2, verse 8. We're going to read verses 8 to 10, 13 to 15, and 20 to 23, though at some point today you could read the entire passage from 8 to 23. We're just going to trim it down a little bit for time's sake today. Starting in chapter 2, verse 8, Paul writes this, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him, in Jesus, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. Jumping down to verse 13. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing triumphing over them in him. Then down to verse 20. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings? These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Now, in the very opening line of this passage, Paul says that what these Gnostic teachers are trying to do is actually hold these people captive. They're trying to ensnare them, but Christ offers freedom freedom from slavery to sin, and freedom from even death. Now, this idea, this theme of freedom in Christ, it's found everywhere in the New Testament. It is one of the major themes of the New Testament. Uh, Paul writes his letter to the Galatians, and in chapter 5, maybe this is a familiar verse to you, he says, "'For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery.'" Then in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17, Paul writes again, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Jesus himself in John chapter 8, verse 36 says, If the Son sets you free, so you will be free indeed. 
Freedom in Christ is such a major theme throughout the New Testament that it's actually one of the major issues that Paul and other New Testament writers have to address in their letters to these early churches. People couldn't handle, they didn't know what to do with this newfound freedom that they'd received in Christ. Paul has to correct the Corinthians for how they're handling their freedom in 1 Corinthians 6. He does the same to the Galatian church in chapter 5, and on and on it goes. The problem was these Gnostic teachers were convincing Christians that there was more to their faith than Jesus alone. They needed extra practices, extra laws, and extra rituals, and only then, if they adhered to all this extra stuff, would they find the true life. Paul won't have any of it. He exposes these lies for what they are, and he sets the record straight. Jesus and Jesus alone sets us free from sin and death. And Jesus sets us free from weak, small-minded systems that cannot deliver on their promises. Instead, we're invited into something much, much better, a relationship with the living God. These systems that Paul is warning us against, they actually capture us. They enslave us all over again. We find freedom in Christ, and then we wind up captive to a small-minded system all over again. Now, these systems, they've taken different forms over the last 2,000 years, but they all have the same root. And so today we're going to explore two that Paul calls out in this passage in Colossians chapter 2. First, Paul says, don't be held captive by empty spirituality, philosophy, empty deceit, human tradition, the elemental spirits of the world, and not Christ. That's how he puts it. These Gnostics were claiming that having faith in Christ was not enough. They had to do extra rituals and spiritual practices in order to truly have faith and be in right relationship with God. Paul calls this empty deceit, empty spirituality, and it's still around today. Now, it's subtle. It doesn't market itself as empty spirituality, but maybe you've heard something like this uh, recently. You know, the secret to success doing whatever makes you happy above all else, looking inside yourself to find yourself, the power of positive thinking, material possessions, sex and relationships, all of these things offer freedom and happiness, and yet they all come up short. They're spiritual nothingness. They lack substance and they all lead us away from God. Now, here in the West in particular, we are bombarded constantly by promises that don't hold up and don't deliver. Every photo we see has been manipulated. It's been photoshopped and edited. Every news story we hear has been spun to meet somebody's political agenda. Everything we see online has been run through some sort of algorithm to, to make sure that we are hearing what we want to hear and staying in our own little echo chamber, trying to make us believe that if we just try a little harder, if we believe in ourselves a little bit more, if we keep ourselves surrounded by the right winning people and not the losers, we become convinced that if we could just attain this thing or have that relationship or identify with this particular demographic, then all of my problems would just melt away and I would finally find the happiness that I'm seeking. There's a secret to unlock and if I could just, ugh, we tell ourselves. 
Now listen, I want to be clear. There is nothing wrong with being an optimistic person and thinking positively about life and having a, a good outlook. There's nothing evil about owning material things. It's not wrong or bad to be in a healthy marriage or a healthy relationship. But when we buy into the idea that these things will offer us the fulfillment that we are looking for, that they will fill our souls or make us happy, we're going to be disappointed. They can't deliver and they weren't designed to. When we chase these kinds of things, seeking ultimate fulfillment, these elemental spiritual forces of the world hold us captive, according to Paul. Don't let them ensnare you. Don't become obsessed with these kinds of ultimately hollow things. This is Paul's first warning. Since you've been freed in Christ, don't become captive again to empty, mushy spirituality. He goes on. He says, second, don't be held captive by extreme religious legalisms. Extreme religious legalisms. Don't handle don't taste, don't touch. If empty spirituality can hold us captive, on the flip side, so can harsh, extreme religious legalism. Legalism is one of those words that you occasionally hear around church. What is legalism? In a nutshell, legalism is the belief that if I behave well and I follow all the rules, God will love me and I will be in right relationship with him. It's putting your trust in a system of rules and in your ability to follow and uphold them. Many people believe that this is actually what the church teaches today. Follow the rules. God will be happy. He'll let you into heaven when you die. Don't follow the rules. God will be angry. You'll wind up somewhere else. Lots of people believe this. Lots of people in the church and outside the church believe this. And it can sound convincing on first pass, but upon closer inspection, we realize that's not what the Bible, that's not what Paul, that's not what Jesus himself teaches. This is a deeply flawed teaching, a, a deeply flawed line of reasoning. Legalism is primarily concerned with external appearances and controlling others. Do you look the part? Are you following all the rules? Are you following all the rules as well as I am following all the rules? Legalism is only interested in perfection, but God is interested in the heart. Scripture tells us that man looks at the outside. We judge outside uh, uh, the, the external, but God looks at the inside. He judges the heart. You can follow all the rules, you can tick all of the good behavior boxes and still have a wretched, wicked heart that judges others harshly. The main issue with legalism, though, is that it's not dependent on Christ and what he's done. Ironically, our legalisms and our rule following, they lead us away from God. They put all the power in our hands. The thinking goes like this, did I obey all the rules? Well, if so, then God is contractually obligated to bless me. But the inverse is also true. Did I break the rules? Did I sin today? Oh, then God is not going to bless me because I broke the contract. I had to earn my way into this and I can fail out of it if I don't pass the test. Did I pass today or did I fail today? Am I going to pass tomorrow or am I going to fail tomorrow? 
And how well am I passing? Am I this close to the line? How does all this, what a weight to live under. You weren't designed to live under that kind of weight, and that's not what Jesus teaches. Some of the words that Paul uses to describe legalism, if you read the entirety of the passage from from chapter 2, verse 8 to verse 23, he, he uses words like this, demands, debt, judgment, regulations. It doesn't quite sound like freedom, does it? Don't be held captive to empty, mushy spirituality, Paul says, and don't be held captive by religious legalisms. They can be so deceiving. They can actually even look appealing on the surface. Paul sums both of them up quite well in verse 23. He says, These indeed have an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. They look good on the surface, and we can get caught up in them really easily. But if it's not this, and it's not this, where is it? Where do we find this freedom? Where do we find this fulfillment that our souls desperately want? And Paul says we find it nowhere else but in Christ alone. What we are invited to through Jesus is something much better than empty spirituality or harsh religious extremism, legalisms. We're invited into a dynamic, living, intimate relationship with the living God. Paul is trying to be clear. In Jesus alone, we find freedom, we find true life, we find forgiveness from our sin and our debt, we find truth, we find substance and authority. In Jesus, we find the fullness of God and the power of the Holy Spirit that conquers sin and death. He makes us truly alive. Again, in verse 13, he says, you who were dead in your trespasses, that's another word for sin, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. What Paul is offering here is not an empty spirituality with nothing tangible to put your hope in, and it's not a crushing legalism that's designed to weed out all but the elite, the best of the best. Through Christ, we can enter into a relationship with God. It's intimate and it's real, and it offers real hope, not in your ability to follow the rules, but in Jesus's faithfulness to take our sin upon his shoulders and nail it to the cross once and for all. He disarmed the rulers and authorities of these sham captivities, empty spirituality and legalism. He triumphed over them so that we don't have to live underneath them anymore. That's what freedom looks like. Freedom to live in his kingdom, in the kingdom of God, here and now, and forever with him in eternity. Now, maybe you're listening to this today, and you didn't know that God offers freedom. Maybe you've steered clear of God and the church because you felt like you couldn't live up to the expectations. You felt like you couldn't live up to all the rules. I have good news for you. God loves you, and he wants you to get to know him 
He wants to speak to you personally. He wants to walk with you. He wants to work on you from the inside out, not the outside in. He says, come to me, all you who are, are heavy laden and burdened, and I will give you rest. He wants to help you walk in freedom. Maybe you're listening today and you're looking for hope. You've tried putting your hope in all kinds of different things and nothing has delivered on its promise. They've all disappointed you. They've not satisfied you like you thought they would. I have good news for you too. This hope that you are looking for, this life and life to the full, life abundant, it's found in Jesus Christ. He alone can offer the hope, the joy, and the peace that your soul is longing for. In either case, whether you're, you didn't know he offered freedom or he didn't know he offered hope, God wants to have a relationship with you. Scripture tells us that when we cry out to God, he hears us. And when we seek him with all of our heart, we find him. He wants to be in relationship with you. Maybe today you want to pray to God and ask for forgiveness and freedom from the sin in your life. It's not a formula. There are no magic words that you have to pray these specific things. Just be honest before him. Admit that you need forgiveness for the wrong things that you've done and ask him to fill your heart, to come and take residence in you, to guide you and to give you wisdom. And if you do that, we want to know. The, the, the YWC pastoral team and the coastal pastoral team, we want to know. We want to help resource you to help get your roots grown down deep into Christ so you can grow and mature in this relationship with God. You can text the, the number that's on the screen right now or you can send us an email and one of our pastors would love to reach out and connect with you and give you some resources so that you can grow and begin this journey with Jesus. Now, maybe you are listening and you're already a Christian. What I have found based on my own experiences and based on pastoring people for the last 15 years or so is that believers who have found freedom in Jesus, over time, we tend to tip into one of these two forms of captivity. We tend to lean towards a, a mushy kind of spirituality, a hope in, in nothing or, or taking our eyes off Jesus, or we tend to lean into these really harsh, judgmental legalisms. My guess is that some of you who are already following Jesus, you know which way you have a tendency to tip. Maybe some of you need to ask God to help you to keep your eyes on him, to not let your eyes wander to all these things that seem so enticing and so appealing, but ultimately leave you broken and hurt and leave you disappointed. Maybe you need to pray, God, would you help me to keep my eyes focused on you and find my fulfillment in you? Maybe some of you need to pray and ask God for a greater sense of, of intimacy, to be reminded that he cares about your heart more than anything else. Maybe you need to, to, to pray to God and, and, and ask to help him remind you that your worth does not come from your ability to follow all of the rules. In order to avoid either extreme, a mushy, empty spirituality or a harsh religious legalism, we need to make sure that we are continuing to walk in true freedom. We need to make sure we're plugged into the source. As Paul would say, we need to make sure we are rooted deeply in Christ, living out this gospel message that you received. 
I think you need to take some time one-on-one today with God. You need to get alone and get quiet and be honest before him. Maybe you need to accept Christ for the first time. Maybe you need to acknowledge that you have a real tendency to tip into one of these two camps and help him to ask you to help ask him to help you walk in the freedom that you've found in Christ. God bless you. Hope you have an awesome day and an awesome week, and we will see you soon for the next part of our Colossians series.